our Easter scripture is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of the Lord. The resurrection threatens the status quo, not only of the ancient world, but of our own world. I want you to imagine a loved one that you have lost. Imagine a loved one that you have lost, that you have grieved over, that you miss terribly, that you would love to see again, that you would long to see again. Imagine that loved one appearing before you right now in bodily form. It's not the result of too much wine or drugs, it's not a hallucination, it's not a vision, it's real. Imagine that person appearing before you right now. Now I'm sure you think you would be overjoyed. You probably would be. And you'd probably feel renewed. But you would be confounded. You would be confused. In your astonishment, you'd be scared. Because in that event, your very understanding of conventional reality would be threatened. The world and life and experience as you know it would be severely challenged, wouldn't it? Sometimes the truth is unconventional. The truth is not conventional, but it is necessary for life and for peace and for hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ threatens the status quo. And we see in this passage from Mark, the ending of his gospel, two threatening aspects to reality as the ancients understood it. The first threat to the status quo is the fact that the first eyewitnesses are women. There was an old Jewish prayer that some Jewish men would say, and it went something like this. Dear God, thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you that I'm not a slave. Thank you that I'm not a woman. In the ancient world, whether Gentile or Jewish, women could not testify as witnesses in a court of law. Because whether you were sacred or secular in your worldview, Women were not deemed as reliable witnesses. If you were trying to start a movement, if you were trying to start a cultural or philosophical power play 
in society upon other culture groups, you would not, based on the fact that your leader supposedly rose from the dead, you would not begin your movement by fabricating four independent gospel stories that all insist that women were the first eyewitnesses to an empty tomb and to a risen Jesus of Nazareth. You wouldn't do it. And yet, these women, not the apostles, not Peter, not John, these women were the first to witness an empty tomb and a risen Jesus and to say something about it. So be careful when you criticize the Bible for being backwards. Because the Bible challenged the gender status quo thousands of years before our own culture did. The second threat to the status quo is the empty tomb itself. The empty tomb is a blatant assault upon death. Now, in our experience, uh, people don't come back to life, right? People die and they stay dead. I get it. Okay. It was as hard for ancients to believe in the resurrection as it is for you and me. The ancient Greeks believed that, that the body and the material world, any aspect of the material physical world, was corrupt. That the physical was corrupt and only the spiritual was pure and good. And so for the ancient Greeks and the Gentiles, the idea of a body raising up from the dead, the idea that Jesus, if he was holy, would, would take on a body again, well, it made no sense. And to the Jews, the idea of resurrection at that moment was also preposterous. The Jews believed in a resurrection, but it would be at the end of time. It would be when the creator of the universe came to judge all humanity and came to restore the planet to its original healthy condition. Then people would rise from the dead, but not now, they thought. So it was hard for them to believe in any resurrection. And yet the angel is sitting there and says to the women, he is risen. Just as he told you, you hear those words, the angels say to them, just as he told you. And he's waiting for you, just as he told you. Now, the original Greek phrase there, it, it, it was an active, he is risen. It was passive. In the original language, it actually reads, he was raised. See, Jesus didn't wake himself up. It wasn't as though he almost died and they made a mistake and put him in the tomb and then he just woke up after three days. The original language is very specific. The angel is saying he was raised. And the distinction is important because God raised him. And that was a great threat to people back then. It was a great threat to the religious establishment in Jerusalem. Matthew's gospel tells us that the chief priests and the scribes and the elders paid good money to have an alternate story circulated. That Jesus' disciples broke into the tomb and stole his body and hid it somewhere else. Even the women who believed were still threatened. What does Mark tell us in the passage? It says that they fled for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And the original word there for astonishment, it's the Greek word ecstatic. 
Now, you may use the word ecstatic all the time, but it literally means to stand outside of yourself. They were beside themselves with fear. The resurrection is alarmingly unconventional. But it's the best answer to all of life's questions and struggles and to all of the world's injustices. The resurrection threatens the status quo, but the resurrection resolves the status quo. Status quo is not always a good thing. And although the resurrection is a threat, the resurrection brings resolution. That's why it's a threat. Because often to have healthy, good, positive resolution in a situation, something from the outside has to come in to break the status quo. Isn't that true? The resurrection resolves the status quo in three ways as we see in this passage. First, it announces reconciliation. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead announces reconciliation to a human race that has lost touch with its creator. Jonathan mentioned this earlier to the children. The resurrection is proof that God the Father accepted Jesus' substitute sacrifice. When Jesus hung on a cross, he hung as a substitute criminal for me and for you, whom the Bible says should have been hanging there because of our rebellious hearts and our rebellious thinking and our rebellious living. But Jesus as a substitute hung there for us. And then he died and was put in a tomb. And because he rose from the dead, it is proof that God said, yes, I am receiving his death in the place of yours. And so a risen Jesus means that by faith in him, by trusting him and not ourselves, we have forgiveness by our heavenly father. That God and we, by faith, are one again. We're together again. We have peace with God, the Bible says, and we have peace with one another. So the first, the first way that the resurrection resolves the status quo is it announces reconciliation to a world buried in conflict. Second, the resurrection announces life. Now, this may seem obvious to you, but this is what we need to remember and celebrate and share with our friends. The idea that God will not allow death to have the last word. Paul says in Corinthians chapter 15, in another place of that chapter, he actually taunts death. He makes fun of death. He says, hey, death, where is your victory, huh? Where is your sting? He gets, he gets in death's face. That's what the Bible does. The Bible says death no longer has the last word. We may die, but death does not have the victory. By faith, again, by faith in Jesus, God will raise us up also. You will experience a new you through Jesus Christ and faith in him. You will experience a remade you. It doesn't matter how you die. It doesn't matter if, if you die from old age. It doesn't matter if you die suddenly from a heart attack or a car accident. It doesn't matter if your body is burned up and there's nothing left of you but your teeth. The creator of the universe has your DNA on file, I believe. And a day will come where there will be a new, complete, remade, physical, spiritual you. Thirdly, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead announces justice. 
This is very important for our world and for our society. The resurrection promises that God will rectify all injustice. He won't stand for injustice. The injustice committed against Jesus, the false accusations, the brutal torture, the mockery, hanging on the cross, dying in our place, though he didn't deserve that. The resurrection tells us that God will not allow injustice to stand. He wouldn't allow injustice to stand against his son. He will not allow injustice to stand in his creation, especially against you if you by faith are his child. By faith, we wait for God's restoration, his restoration of the planet. He will not allow injustice against his creation, the seas, the oceans, the mountains, the forests, the creatures. He will not allow injustice to stand against them. He will not allow injustice to stand against oppressed people. He will not allow injustice to stand against the weak and those who cannot help themselves. He will not allow injustice to stand against you, friend, if you have been mistreated, if you have been wronged, if you are being oppressed right now. He will not allow injustice to stand against you. By faith, we wait for God's restoration of beauty and peace and love and joy. And there is no greater worldview than this. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I am so glad you're here because we have set this thing. We have set this whole thing up in part for you, friend. We're here. Whether you come or not, we're here because we love Jesus and we're going to worship him every week. But it's we're even here for you. And we pray for you all the time. Now, if you're not willing to trust that this worldview that I have just described, a promise of reconciliation, a promise of life, a promise of justice. If that's too good to be true, as as one woman once told me, ironically, she was Jewish. But she told me the whole thing is just too good to believe. Well, if that's your worldview, I... I want to challenge you to consider something that C.S. Lewis once said in one of his children's books. He said, this is a paraphrase, by the way. I, don't, I not, didn't have time to find it. C.S. Lewis said, okay, so let's assume that you're right and that Christianity is too good to be true, that all this great stuff is just too wonderful to believe. Let's assume that your view of things is accurate, that this world is all we have. That all we can see and touch and hear and discover empirically is all there really is. And there's really no, there's no point in, in hoping for a fairy tale that somehow there really is a God and he really does love us. And he really does care about our lives. And he is going to come back and fix everything. And then that Jesus is somehow God. It's just all good too good to be true. Well, C.S. Lewis says, okay, let's assume you're right. Let's assume we're wrong. And you're right. But you really can't hope in anything except what you see. And there's not a whole lot to hope in based on what you see. I think the Christian worldview is just better. Let's assume you're right. Do you really want to believe in what you believe? Do you really think that that's a great alternative to what you call a fairy tale? C.S. Lewis said, I'd rather believe the fairy tale. It gives me more hope and more joy and, and a reason to get up every day. You have no reason to get out of bed. No solid reason. 
So friend, I just encourage you to think about that. This made-up reality you claim to be Christianity is actually better and more consistent and more solid and offers more purpose and more meaning to life than your supposedly true, realistic reality. Just think about it. You can find it in the book called The Silver Chair, by the way. I think the truth threatens us. That's what I think is at the bottom of it all. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think the truth is a threat to you. If you do believe in the resurrection, but you don't live in that truth, you don't live with love and joy and assurance that God's going to do everything Jesus said he would do, I think the truth is a threat. We want to believe what's safe. Don't we want to believe what's safe to us? What makes us feel secure and safe? Isn't that why so many dictators, so many ruthless people in history took over and, cre- and, and, and perpetrated mass injustices because enough people wanted to believe what was safe, not what was true. It's, it's easy for me to believe that I don't have a cancerous tumor in my body. It's easy to believe that you're healthy. It's easier and more comforting to think there's nothing wrong with me. I don't have to go to the doctor. I don't have to have that PET scan or that MRI or that CAT scan. I don't have to have that blood test because I think I'm okay. And that may be comforting for a while, but that comfort may end up leading to your death if you're willing to believe what is safe for long enough. But now you find out that there is a dangerous procedure. It may destroy a lot of the good stuff in your body. It may actually kill you. But if you endure this procedure, you may have a chance of living longer. That's good news. It's threatening news because it may damage you and hurt you and inconvenience you right now in the short term. But if you're willing to submit to the ugly truth, you may have a chance to live. And quite often, truth presents itself that way. It is a threat to you. Truth is a threat, but it will save you. It's safe to believe in something that affirms our positions or that minimizes our perceived threats. It's safe to believe in something that maintains for us the status quo. It's safe to believe in something that protects our comfort or our position of power. It's safe to believe in something that reinforces our opinions and our assumptions. But quite often, believing what is safe will lead to our demise. The truth is often not safe at all. You have a risen Jesus and the people who even wanted to believe it were scared to death. But just because something is not safe does not mean that it is untrue, friends. And you can't rely on scientific method to prove the resurrection. You can't rely on scientific method to disprove the resurrection. Science is is the wonderful observation and discovery through empiricism of what we can see and touch and feel and observe. But the resurrection is unnatural. There's nothing natural about the resurrection that we can discover and prove by the scientific process. It's a miracle. 
The resurrection requires faith because even people in Jesus' day saw him, Matthew's gospel tells us, saw the risen, the risen Jesus Christ and yet doubted. So scientific proof will not make you believe. You need faith. So I pray that God will give us faith to believe it again and again. Just because something is unsafe does not mean it is not true. And just because something is not safe does not mean it is not good. C.S. Lewis tells the story of the great lion Aslan. Right, kids? And Aslan makes these friends with these four children. And the girls, Susan and Lucy, they follow Aslan into the woods and they discover that Aslan is going to his own death. He's executed. He's destroyed by the white witch. And they are overwhelmed, right? They are so sad. They are overwhelmed with grief. Here's somebody that they finally believe in who thought would make everything right. And he died. And then the next morning, while they were still crying and weeping, they turn around and they see Aslan, the real Aslan, alive again. And they embrace him. And now they know that with a risen Aslan, they don't have to face a difficult world alone. They're not alone anymore. They have him back. And that's the truth of the resurrection is that everything we want in life, everything that we hope for, we get it back. But you have to see that what you want and what you hope can only truly be found in Jesus. When the children, earlier in the story, when the children discover that this Aslan that they're about to meet, that everybody's excited about, is a lion, they say, oh, I hope he's safe. And then a little Mr. Beaver says, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good, is what Mr. Beaver said. And that's what I want to tell you about Jesus. There is nothing safe about a risen, the risen Jesus the risen and glorified Jesus Christ is no more safe than the crucified Jesus was. He is not safe. He will challenge your understanding of the status quo. The risen Jesus will challenge everything you think is true and dear and good to you. But he is good. He's not safe, but he's good. And in his goodness, we find hope and life. The resurrection means that his words are true. Remember when the angel said to them in the passage, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, just as he said. Those words, just as he said, that's where we find hope. The resurrection means that everything Jesus said is true. People, people are so concerned about what the Bible says and concerned that Christianity is a threat to them. And they, they ask you, maybe you're, if you're a Christian, your friends say, well, what does the Bible say about this? And what does the Bible say about that? And why can't I live my life this way? You know, what does the Bible say about the way I live my life? What do you think about how I live my life? And, and you, know what, you know what we can say? If you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, it doesn't matter what the Bible says. Jesus quoted scripture. He quoted every portion of the Old Testament, which to them was the Jewish Bible. He quoted every major portion. He established the Old Testament of God's word. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything in there, everything in there is important. And so now we live our life based on what Jesus said. 
And why can we have hope that what Jesus said is good and true for us? Because he rose from the dead. And so now we can believe he's coming back. Like he said he was coming back. He will make all things new just as he said he would make all things new. Just as he told you. The resurrection means that we have solid hope. When we use the word hope, we use it as, we, as though it is wishful thinking. I hope the weather is good for our picnic later today. But you really can't do anything about the weather, can you? I hope I get what I asked for for Christmas. But you really can't do anything about what you get for Christmas. Hope The way we use the word is wishful thinking. It's not how the ancients used it when they wrote the New Testament. The concept of hope in the New Testament is solid assurance that what God says he will do will be done. And so we have biblical hope. We have solid assurance that Jesus will return to bring full reconciliation between us and our creator, between each of us with one another. To bring new life, real life, and to bring justice. By faith, we wait for Jesus' return. So the truth is unconventional, but that does not mean it is untrue. Ask God to break the cycle of unbelief in your life. And stake your life on a risen Jesus Christ. I pray that you find him, friend. And I pray that you rejoice Because he is risen. Let's pray. Father we ask. For simple faith. Although we are scared. Although we are threatened. By what a risen Jesus might mean to us. That we will be held accountable. For what we do. And what we say. And what we think. That the world will be held accountable. For what it does to itself. A risen Jesus, Father, is not safe to us. It, the concept itself threatens us. And yet, Father, we ask that you would give us faith to believe that the risen Jesus, although he threatens what we hold dear by ourselves, that the risen Jesus is good. Give us faith to believe that he is good. Give us faith to believe him, that his words are true. And in his name, we love you, we give thanks, and we praise you. Amen.